right, I'm situated <laughs> at all my things. Um, I love you guys. Good morning. Um, I just, I love worshiping with this family. Like, sometimes I'm just like, oh, God, like, that's just a great morning. So thank you for coming with your whole hearts and worshiping the way you do. Um, it just makes me so grateful to be a part of this church family. Um, so for those of you who I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Amanda, and I'm the Karen Connect Director here. And um, I love being with you all, in case you haven't figured that out yet. Um, if I have not met you or if this is your first time, please come introduce yourselves to one of us or we will come and find you because um, I look for you on, on Sunday morning. Um, please don't leave without saying hello and letting us know that you were here and you've joined us this morning. Um, so I am, I'm excited to be kind of wrapping up this book of Colossians that we've been exploring the last few weeks. It's been a really great journey through it. Um, I wanted to start with just a reflection that I had last night. Um, has anyone ever been to Blue Man Group? Blue Man Group? Yeah. So I went for the first time last night. So the last time I went away, uh, I went to California to a conference in the fall. Josh took the kids to a water slide park. So that was like... All right, well, I got to step up my game then when he goes away. So he's been at a conference this weekend, hopefully being filled with the spirit and all that good stuff. Um, but we went to Blue Man Group last night, and I've always wanted to go, and it was super fun. But if you haven't been to Blue Man Group, it's this, so they have some skits and stuff, but it's also this really cool, like, sensory experience where they have lights and sounds of different kinds and rhythm and colors and paint, and it's a mess, but it's so fun. Um, but I, at one point, they had this short video about color and about our eyes, and for those of you who really understand all this, I'm totally going to butcher it, so full disclosure. So this video just kind of gave that brief biology overview of how the eyes take in light and they flip it upside down in your retina and then it goes to something else and then there's all these like cones and rods and like millions of them and the the rods are the ones that have that just that just give our eyes like the sense of black and white but then if you you add the cones and that turns them into the three primary colors and then and then it goes on and on and on but as i'm sitting there like listening and then they went into the, like this cool demonstration with color and paint and it was just beautiful but I'm sitting there listening to it, and I was like, wow, God, like, you did that. Like, it was just one of those really fun reminders about the detail that God goes into to create every single thing he's ever made. And just the fact that, like, there's all, just in the eyes, and the way it connects to your brain and then goes and talks to your body, like just all these different systems that he put in place that have to work a specific way so that we can see what we see. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow, God, you are so like worthy of all of our adoration, all of it, all of it. Like for you to be able to go into that much detail and create these systems um, just in our body, and then let's don't even get started about like creation in itself, like, and all that stuff. But all that to say, it was just this fun reflection as I was thinking about where Paul leaves us at the end of this book, um, just about how awesome God is and how much detail He goes into and how worthy He is of everything, everything. So that was fun. 
<laughs> so we have come to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in these four chapters, there's so much that we've touched on. Um, but there's also so much that we haven't touched on. There's a lot in these four chapters. Um, so I would really encourage you, if you haven't already, or do it again, read it through on your own. Um, explore some of the context of the more complicated things that Paul talks about. Um, much of it, as do many places in the Bible, require a certain amount of historic context and understanding to really get, to, to get the message of what Paul is saying. But there's so much wisdom to glean um, from this letter that he writes to encourage the church. Just a quick recap. Paul is in prison right now when he writes this letter. Um, he's been, you know, he was preaching the gospel and they put him in jail and his friend comes to talk to him and give him an update about the church of Colossae. And he says, my church is struggling with, you know, the culture because there's a lot of these pressures. And Paul says, well, I'm going to write him a letter because that's what he does. He encourages and he writes this beautiful four-chapter letter to encourage the church. And there's so much that we can take from it. If you've missed any of the weeks, please go back and listen to them. Um, it's been a really fun exploration through this book. If you are interested in exploring this more, there's this incredible short video um, by The Bible Project. If you haven't heard of it, they are these really cool videos. They're on YouTube, have a website, all that stuff. Um, but they're short videos that highlight and explain the major themes and messages of Colossians that I would really recommend. It's seven minutes long. They have them for every single book in the Bible, and I love listening to them and watching them. They very creatively explain every book in the Bible and a lot of the other major themes. So we'll post that on Facebook if you're interested in checking that out. Um, it's a great video. So we wrap up the series with a short passage that's full of tidbits on what it means to be a disciple. We're all called to be disciples, every single one of us. A disciple is not a church leader. It's not someone who is ordained or someone who has hit some obscure benchmark or is in some particular social circle. We are disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a learner and a follower. We're all in different places in the journey and have different gifts and experience, but we are all disciples nonetheless. So here's where Paul leaves us in this short passage. Turn with me to Colossians 4, and we're going to start at verse 2. I'm going to read it through all the way, and then we'll break it down. Break it down now. Um, couldn't resist. <laughs> Sorry. All right, chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation Always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, four verses, a lot to pull apart there, but it all kind of goes together. So let's go back to verse two. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. 
This type of prayer is the cyclical dance of communion with God. In this book, oh, I meant to bring it, I forgot it. In this book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Simple People, it's written by Pete Gregg. It's really great. I really recommend it if you, um, if you haven't already read it. He says, true prayer is not so much something we say, something we do. It is something we become. When we say yes to Jesus, we enter in we enter this relationship with a very real and very living God. It is not one-sided, it is not distant, and it is not conditional. Prayer is this ongoing conversation in our relationship with God. When we pray, it's an opportunity to connect with God's presence. We can be more aware of what's going on around us, and prayer isn't always a sit in a chair for so many minutes and run through your list of requests and petitions. Prayer is an ongoing conversation, walking through the store, driving in your car, wandering about in nature, on the side of the soccer field. Now it's not always appropriate to pray out loud because that might look a little crazy, but sometimes it is. So it's a both and everything. <laughs> um, but the point is, Prayer is this ongoing conversation that we can be having with God. And sometimes it does involve sitting in a quiet place, stilling our bodies, stilling our minds. Um, it's a both and. But we need to know how to cultivate God's presence with us at all times. And we need to stay curious about what he is doing. Be mindful of the interruptions. It is not a normal reflex to ask God what he wants to do with a delay or a change of plan or interruption, but it's often these times that he wants to get our attention so he can partner with us. And here's a story from this book that I just referenced, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Simple People. Pete Gregg writes, this is him speaking, I was stranded in Chicago. All airplanes had been grounded by the, by the eruption of the Icelandic volcano, and I couldn't get home to England. I asked God how he wanted me to use the interruption. Several American friends had already been kind enough to invite me to stay, but as I prayed, I found myself thinking about a particular friend who lived 150 miles west in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, I'm in Chicago, I emailed. Can I come crash on your couch? I didn't know that Joe had just received terrible news, nor that his worried wife had just asked, who do you wish you had on your couch right now? Those had been her exact words. Nor that he had replied, I wish Pete was on my couch, because I know that's, but I know that's crazy because he's in England and he's never been to our home. Within hours of Joe's throwaway line, I had materialized on his couch. Which I found the story really cool, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this is the business that God is in. Like, this is what he does. This is normal for God to orchestrate these moments. But we have to join the conversation. When we devote ourselves to prayer, when we are in tune with the heart of God, we will find his ability to work in the most unexpected places or circumstances. So this leads to the second piece of that very short, full statement. This leads us to being watchful. 
Being watchful is being in tune to what is happening around us. There are so many opportunities to engage with others, to love and serve. God is always working and always inviting us to participate in what he is doing. But there are also battles going on around us too, in our world and in others. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's an illness, a family conflict, or recent failure. Being watchful refers to being alert to what the enemy is doing, who is out to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his job. In Ephesians 6, we read, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, this may sound intense, but we can contend for our own victory and for others, which we have already been guaranteed in Jesus through prayer. God is a God who listens. He is waiting to answer our prayers and intervene on our behalf. It may not always look the way we think it's going to look or we want it to look, but God is always working. The enemy will do anything he can to distract our hearts from Jesus. He will tempt us to gossip or be judgmental. He will try to steal our hope or our joy or our peace. He will try to divide people, and he will distract us from the everyday business of loving God and loving people. It is a battle that we are in, whether we like it or not. We cannot afford to pretend this is not a reality, so we must be watchful for what God is doing and what the enemy is trying to do. This requires being disciplined about slowing down. I will never stop preaching this message. I feel very passionate about this message. We, as a society, are too busy and distracted. I've always been very open about how hard it is for me to slow down. I write it at the top of most of my talks. It takes a lot of discipline to slow down in my speaking, to slow down walking from point A to point B, or executing whatever plan I have for my day. It takes a lot of effort for me to say no and to create a healthy balance of downtime in our home. But we try. I have two kids in elementary school and a third in half-day kindergarten. And when my youngest gets on the bus at 11.50 a.m., my three-hour and 10-minute timer starts. Not that I am counting, but I definitely am. <laughs> and some days it feels like a game show of getting done what I need to get done, either staying on top of work or staying on top of my master's program or maybe spending time with a friend or doing any of the things I have to do to keep my own household running smoothly. But one thing I make a priority two to three times a week is to take a walk through my neighborhood. I don't wear headphones for music or podcasts, and I don't make phone calls. I take a walk, and I am watchful. For the most part, it's my time to just practice silence and practice slowing down. Um, but it's also my time to cultivate awareness of what's going on around me. I slow down, I listen to the sounds that I hear, and I notice. There are a certain number of neighbors that I pass the same time of day, any time that I'm out, and I make sure that I know who they are, that I introduce myself and know their name and say hello. And it's not unusual that I will get the opportunity to pray with someone or encourage someone on these walks. I really try not to rush by. This practice 
on a regular basis helps me cultivate a slower mindset throughout my conversations and daily happenings. Now, I'm no expert, and I still rush around sometimes, and I still get to talking really fast, um, and I still have a long way to go. But in my heart, I want to be connected to God's presence through prayer and partner with him in whatever he's doing. I also don't want the enemy to catch me off guard or distracted. I want to be watchful. And this is one of the steps that I take to do this. So the third piece of that short sentence is being thankful. And being prayerful also involves being thankful and celebrating what God is doing. We underestimate the power of being grateful. The enemy is saying, look at this, and look at how terrible all this is, and this is never going to change, and you're never going to get out of it. But recognizing God's goodness surpasses that and takes all the power out of what the enemy is trying to tell you. When we give thanks to God, we remember what he has done. We remember the little things that we can value that are right in front of us each and every day. We remember his goodness, and it revives our worship, and it renews our hearts, and this is a daily practice. His peace through gratitude settles everything. And thankfulness probably will not change the actual situation of whatever is going on, but it changes us. Because we are renewed and realigned, we remember who God is and that nothing is beyond his control. He redeems the hardest of circumstances. The concept of thankfulness comes up almost 200 times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as I reread Colossians this morning, I was reminded that Paul also, just in those four short chapters, mentioned being thankful multiple times. The New and the Old Testament writers recognized the importance of giving thanks. Something my family and I do to keep up this practice is take about five minutes almost every day because routines aren't my greatest gift, (laughs) to fill out one or two things that we can be thankful for and putting them in our jar. This is our thankful jar. The jar sits on the island in the middle of our kitchen, so we see it every day, multiple times a day. On the last day of the month, we dump them all out, we read them together, and we start again. It's just one of the little things that we can remember that there is always something to be thankful for. There we go. (laughs) I was also planning on the headset today. All right, please hold. I won't read them all, but they can get really fun sometimes. We're thankful for candles because I always have a candle burning and Ben noticed that. We are thankful for Libby and Sam. Oh, Ben's on a roll. (laughs) That must have been a good day in our house. Candles and thankful for siblings. We're thankful for mashed potatoes. I make pretty good mashed potatoes. We're thankful for our dog. He had a rough week a couple weeks ago, so we were extra thankful for him. We were thankful for pineapple fried rice. We eat a lot of food and are thankful for it. We are thankful for health. I actually don't recognize that handwriting. So what's fun about this jar is 
It sits in the middle of our kitchen on our island, and a lot of times when friends come by or are sitting there, they will also throw something in the thankful jar. Oh, we are thankful for Tommy, Ben, Tommy and Ben. The neighbor put that one down, two boys in the, in the neighborhood. They're a good crew. I'll read one more. And we are thankful for basketball. So there's always something to be thankful for, and we try to cultivate this together, because when we are thankful for the little things, they add up, and we can see the big things, too, when we practice looking for things to be thankful for. So prayer, being watchful and thankful are this dance of communion with God. So we're going to move on to verse 3 and 4. And pray for us too, he says. This is referring to Paul and Timothy who are in prison for preaching the very message that he is asking the opportunity to share. Think about that. He's in prison. He's like, give me more. Who else can I talk to about Jesus? This situation was not foreign to him, unfortunately. But nonetheless, nonetheless, Paul asked the church to pray for him for open doors to proclaim the gospel message, the very thing he was imprisoned for, not once, not twice, multiple times, and ultimately gave his life for. Jesus sent in his teaching to go and make disciples, and Paul took this command very seriously. He never strayed from the one call, the one purpose, and the one meaning in life, because Jesus is worth so much more than all the distractions. He knew that the message that lived inside of him was a message that had the power to change every life it touches. It did then, and it still does now, and it always will. Excuse me. This is God's desire for us, to experience his love and forgiveness so that in turn we can partner with him and share his love and forgiveness with others, to bring as many people in on this message that gives hope and peace and purpose. In verse 5, Paul begins to wrap up and he says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. This is what happens when we are prayerful and watchful and thankful. This is interesting to me because the first time I read this through, um, this one, if you read it a certain way, can feel like pressure and performance. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Does anyone else here pull it together, wear your Sunday best, make sure your kids aren't out of line, and don't mess up? I have to admit, in the past, I would have read this one through my brokenness and felt full of guilt and pressure and felt the drive to just look good, pull it together. Everything's fine. That's what we say. Everything's fine. <laughs> My tone says something different. <laughs> I'm working on that. Um, so, but wisdom, when we, when we encounter different situations and we encounter them with wisdom, wisdom isn't something you can fake. It's not knowledge. It doesn't come from age. It's how you age. It's lessons learned from experience and life. It's responding to things thoughtfully and with maturity. Wisdom is vulnerable and authentic. It's knowing when to ask the deeper question, and it's knowing that the issue is hardly ever the issue. It's allowing God to use what you've been through as your testimony of his grace and goodness to others. 
In order to be wise, we have to confront our brokenness and have a desire to not just look like Jesus and do the right thing, but be like Jesus. That's internal. That's not external. And that, my friends, is the beauty in the work of the cross. I've been a Christian pretty much my entire life, but it was not until I began to realize how little self-awareness I had and how much depth was missing from my spiritual walk that I could get in to the true healing and freedom offered by the work of the cross. I could invite Jesus into the deeper places of my heart, the places that I didn't want anyone else to see, let alone Jesus. <laughs> but this facade called me to respond to things defensively, make selfish decisions. It gave me incredible anxiety worrying about how I looked or what I was doing or what anyone else thought of me. And I missed so many opportunities to care for others well and to show love from Jesus because I was worried about myself. But knowing what Jesus has done for me, in spite of my bad choices and weaknesses, has given me the opportunity to care for others much better because it's his love and it's not my love. And again, I'm only human and this is a journey that we're all on. But allowing God to meet me in my weakness has helped me love people better and make the opportunity for every, or <laughs> make the most of every opportunity that I have. And we cannot be afraid to lean into our vulnerabilities and understand our vulnerabilities. We need to face them, we need to surrender them to God and ask him for the way forward. We cannot stand for any work of a very persistent but defeated enemy. Allowing ourselves to believe anything other than without Jesus, I've got nothing, is prideful and guarded and inauthentic, and it just sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> so let's be wise in the way we act, especially towards those who don't yet know the beauty of the gospel. The world doesn't need condemnation or correction, and if that's what you're preaching, it's not Jesus. Jesus' love was always pure and unselfish. We need to see Jesus we need to be more like Jesus, and the world needs to know Jesus. And then when we are wise, our conversations will be full of grace because we will be listening, because we will see with God's eyes and love with God's heart. We will see pain in hard conversations. We will see the story behind the story. In verse 6, Paul writes, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that doesn't mean you have to have every answer to every theological question or question about the Bible or question about life. That's impossible. There's mystery in the message. But one thing is very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved. That is the message that is woven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and needs to be woven into every response that we have, even when you don't have all the answers. Devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. This is incarnational living. 
This is not informational. This is not restricted to Sunday morning or your circle group, which it should be happening there too. That's a good thing. But it is incarnational. It is a part of who we are and who Jesus makes us out to be. So before we close out our time together, now that we've picked apart this passage, I am going to read it through one more time, and then we're going to pray together. So let me read chapter 4. We'll start at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now hopefully you'll be able to walk away with some sort of inspiration or revelation, but if we really want to get this stuff, there needs to be an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who changes us. So I thought, to celebrate finishing this book together, <laughs> I wanted to um, end a little bit differently than we normally do. We're going to pray for each other and for our church. That God's presence would make us more like him. That as a church and individuals, we would see and know him better and follow his lead. In a moment, we're going to get into groups of three or four-ish, you know, whatever works, for just a minute to pray for each other. And some of you are shifting a little uncomfortably in your seats right now because that's really out of your box. And that's totally fine. Nobody is forcing you to pray. But we are a church and we are a family. And... I would love for us to take this opportunity to encourage each other and pray for each other. If you want to step out and do something different, for those of you who've never prayed out loud before, I'll give you a line. God, help us to be more like you and know your love. You can take it. It's yours. You can use it. Um, God doesn't need a whole bunch of words to hear your prayers. There are no prayers that are more weighty than others. Any prayer that is from your heart goes right to God's.